0: Do you ever wonder what would happen if, well, if...
1: If you give a dad a podcast. I'm what you call a nerdy fan. I nerd out at this stuff. Hardcore.
0: You'll hear me talk about anime on here. You'll hear me talk about Power Rangers. You'll hear me talk about wrestling on here.
1: Okay. I had an axe handle with a twisted T on me. It <laughs> right after that <laughs> twisted T <tea> video <laughs> went viral. And man, they went out and grabbed it and smacked it in the head with it. It was so—that's
0: great. I'd like to think this podcast as a nostalgia moment for me. It's a show where I can talk about whatever I want.
1: I'm a I'm a human and animal chiropractor. There was a picture of me. It looked like I was on the side of a ramen box over in China. But so I took my kids with me to Comic Con. I thought that was really cool. I don't know if my wife listen to this podcast. We'll cut that part <laughs> <laughs> out. I mean, like, and then Robert
0: said this <laughs> If You Give a Dad a Podcast, available now on all podcasting platforms.
1: Hey, everyone, this is Brian Ferguson, the host of Bumps and Thumps, the Talk of Wrestling Podcast. I know if you're watching or listening to this, that you enjoy the podcast. In order to continue the podcast, we need support financial support from viewers like you. There are a few ways you can do this. One is go to anchor.fm forward slash Brian dash Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N, the number three, and click on the support button. From there, you can make a donation of monthly contributions at whatever you want. The second way is through our Teespring store. We sell items such as t-shirts, hoodies, glassware, and other great products. We also have a PayPal account at Bumps and Thumps. All those links will be below in the description. Thank you for your support. Thank you for listening, and thank you for watching. Please, if you can, support the podcast so we can get those wrestlers and others that require financial compensation. Thank you for your support again, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to another edition of Bumps and Thumps, The Talk of Wrestling. I'm Brian Ferguson. My guest today is a returning guest. He is a wrestling historian, has done many podcasts. I want to welcome back
0: Mr. George Shire. George, thanks for coming back on. Thank you, as always. It seems like we do this uh, quite often, but it's so much fun.
1: Thank you. It is. I enjoy it as well. Um, Today... Uh, Just to let the fans know, we have no pre-questions or pre-subject. I just asked George to come on the other day, yesterday actually. It was, yesterday. And uh, he agreed to. So we want to talk today, I want to talk today about something that's kind of a lost art or a lost in the wrestling business, and that's masked Superstars, And I'm not talking about the mass superstar. I'm talking about masks in general. Uh, they seem to have been. They're gone. I mean, I think of only one person right now that has it. And that's Ray Mysterio. And he is off and on so much that uh, I think it's a lost art. Now, you're a historian. You've studied this business for many years. And I want to kind of get into the origin of these masks and how it kind of came about. So if you could kind of tell us a little bit about how the mask uh, came into the wrestling business and, and how it kind of progressed.
0: Well, I think you touched on it, Brian, when you said that uh, it's sort of a lost art, uh, something that certainly other with the exception of Rey Mysterio on uh, today's uh, WWE, and, uh, it, it's, it's lost because, and I mean, let's be honest about this. It's lost because K. Fabe is dead. Yeah. Uh, the whole, the whole concept of a masked wrestler way back in the beginning, even before television, we had masked marvels and, you know, a promoter would come up with some guy with some crazy name. I mean, as many different, uh, wrestlers as there have been there probably been as many masked wrestlers through the through the decades for the past 60 70 years and and the only way a promoter could get away with it was because the fans did not know and had no way of finding out who that guy was under the mask you know you and i've talked in the past how oh boy what could happen in minneapolis you know tomorrow night in St. Louis, the two guys that were in a cage match tonight in Minneapolis were probably tag team partners tomorrow night in St. Louis. The promoters could pull this off. But you know, in today's world, with the fast paced uh, news that we get, I mean, before it could happen, it would be all over the internet, it would be all over the tweets and whatever else there's out there, social media. And there's just no way to keep a secret, so the whole idea, a promoter their, their job back in the old days, their job was to literally come up with something that is going to entice the fans to want to come to see their car. And if they came to a town every month or every couple of months, a lot of towns, as you know you and I have talked, they ran every week. Yeah. And so they had to come up with a a gimmick something that would draw the fans. And that's usually where that, let's put a hood, they call it a hood or a mask, whatever, but let's put a hood on so-and-so and uh, we'll concoct some story, some storyline behind them. And there you go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I also, when I was doing a little research on this, uh, some internet sites consider like, face paint, Uh, as a mask Uh, I I don't I think it's it's kind of a mask but it really isn't because it's face paint you know you can if they start sweating it kind of comes off and you can kind of see who they are
0: Uh, do you agree with that well I think when you mentioned the face paint you know the first thing I thought of when you said that was for me the face paint really the first two guys that I recall kind of doing it was the road warriors. Yeah. And so you're going back to the early eighties. They were different in the sense that uh, they, yeah, they put on the face paint and and that became their gimmick along with the rest of their whole mystique that they had. But um, you're right. Once that face paint, you're in the match for 10 minutes and you're sweating profusely, you know, it's running and getting on your opponent's chest and so on. So Yeah. The face paint was never a mask. The original masks, you know, and it was funny. I, I did. I thought of a bunch of names as you and I've been chatting here for a few minutes. And I put a few of them down. I can list names of wrestlers from the kayfabe era. And then I think about it at the top of my head and I go, well, holy cow, I don't even need to, to, to write them down. I can think of, you know, Dick Byer and Bill Miller and hard-boiled Haggerty and Bill Eadie. And those are just for starters. And yeah. then you think about guys like uh, Bill Irwin, Scott Irwin, uh, Art Nielsen and Jim Osborne and Don Jardine and Bob Remus and Lynn Denton yeah. and Joe Hamilton and Dick Murdoch and Tom Andrews. You kind of get where I'm going with this, uh-huh. some of these names. If you're a follower of, say, the uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, -hmm. just those names alone were huge in the business. Some of them were huge without a mask, and some were even more huge with a mask, and some were huge again when the mask came off. I mean, these were superstars. A lot of times it wasn't some unknown. You just pulled some guy out of the audience and said, "We're going to put a hood on you and call you. You know the the greatest wrestler in the world. no, yeah. it didn't happen that way, yeah. and so um, probably as we continue to talk here we'll we'll touch on some of the wrestlers and somehow some of their gimmick came about, yeah and what it meant to a promotion and believe me, we had good guys and we had bad guys as yeah. mass wrestlers. we did, yes,
1: I want to talk about that a little bit uh more detail, so. You mentioned Bob Ramos, Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah. Uh, he was, uh, spoiler, Mark II, I believe. Is that correct? Uh,
0: Super Destroyer oh, Super Mark destroyer, I'm Super sorry. Destroyer Mark II. Okay.
1: I'm sorry. My apologies. Yeah.
0: No, no. No, no. That's that's perfectly good. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Uh, I was going to
1: say that, you know, a lot of those mask guys that I remember as a kid were, were, were bad guys. Were the heels for the most part. Now, uh, there are a few, uh, like Patriot, uh, Lynn, uh, uh, Del Wilkes, Del Wilkes. Uh, there was, there was some, but, uh, I just remember like, uh, the mass superstar, Bill Edie, uh, later demolition, uh, X. Bill, Bill Edie. Yeah. Bill eady yeah. Um, so, you know, when they were in the territory, like you said, they came in now, tell us a little bit about, you know, they didn't want to maybe, maybe recognize sometimes if they were a well-known wrestler already, and they wanted to wrestle in another territory. I mean, how did that kind of work
0: for them? Well, you... I think because you mentioned Bill Eadie, I'll kind of bring this around and come, come sure. back to him. Okay. I've never went around the circle before, have I? <laughs> no, never. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to use big Bill Miller, okay. Dr. Bill Miller, uh, Dr. Bill Miller, certainly at six foot five or six, whatever he was legit and a big, you know, close to a three pound hundred pound guy. He had a, an amateur background in wrestling from Ohio. He, um, he was a huge wrestler in the fifties, huge being pun intended, but also he was huge at the gate as Big Bill Miller or Dr. Bill Miller. And the doctor came in because he actually went to veterinary school and, and he was a licensed veterinarian okay. and he relied on that practice after he got out of the business. But as a wrestler, he was the real deal and he could draw money as Big Bill Miller. So if I use my own Minneapolis territory, just for an example, in the 50s, Bill Miller came through the territory. And again, in those days, it was NWA territory. But Bill Miller came through the territory, always working a main event, always renowned for his credentials as being a great amateur turned professional. And he was a big draw. And he was always a rival to some guy called Vern guy (laughs) yeah okay so bill was over and it wasn't just here he was over in california he was over in texas he was over you know wherever he went big bill miller was a a top name well in omaha in 1958 uh promoter joe dusick decided that you know we're going to just shake things up a little bit bill miller hadn't been around for a long long time yeah and we all know that fans have yes this isn't insulting trying to insult we all know that fans can have short memories or no memories at all when it comes to wrestling sometimes so a guy could be gone for three four years and you've got your audience changes you've got your regular fans but the overall audience is cyclical And they'll move on to do other things in life. And so you've got new fans. So he decided he was going to come up with Bill Miller and he's going to come up with a a mascot. And he put a mask on Bill Miller and he became Dr. X in Omaha. And he was over huge again. Now, the whole idea behind it was the best build up to this type of a gimmick was the promoter claimed he didn't know who the guy was. He didn't know his name. He didn't know where he came from. They could only bill him as weighing in at, we don't know his weight, we don't know where he comes from, hearts unknown, and he's Dr. X. So Bill Miller goes a couple years, you know, dissing opponents, beating the who's who of the business, all the greats, Wilbur Snyder and Vern Gagne and others, you know, of the time, Edward Carpentier and all these guys keeping his mask. The biggest part of the gimmick was, is that most of those guys in that era that put on a mask, when asked by an announcer or the promoter, who are you or why are you masked? And their usual answer often used was, if I took off this mask and the other wrestlers saw who I was, they wouldn't face me in matches. So in order to get the top matches, I have to put this mask on. In other words, you don't know who I am. The guessing game. Right. And as a heel, it worked great for the audience because with the right publicity, the promoter can come out and claim, I don't know who the guy is, but we're going to find out. And I got so-and-so here that's going to be the next opponent. And he's going to, I think he's got a good chance of revealing who it is. But by promoting it that way, the fans get curious, you know, just who is this guy? Mm-hmm. Well, now we want to know who he is. Yeah. And the the whole idea too is most of these masked wrestlers would come out with the idea that, or the comment that, I won't take this mask off unless I'm beaten two submission falls or two pinfalls. And otherwise my mask isn't coming off. And then during the match, you know, if, uh, if a uh, good guy was pulling the mask up a little bit or something, technically that was equivalent to pulling hair or doing any of those things. The okay. referee would usually protect it because his mask wasn't on the line. Then there were times, too, when we're going to do anything we can to get this guy unmasked. You always had that lure of the crowd. And so Big Bill Miller went uh, 58 and 59 and a little bit of 1960 as Dr. X. He was eventually unmasked, revealed as Dr. Bill Miller. And, oh, my God, how come we didn't know that? You know, geez, you know. And. And, and, and the, the fun thing, too, was is in those days, with all of the territories as they were, Bill Miller could wrestle in Omaha. And Omaha, when I say Omaha, I'm talking all of Nebraska. So there yeah. were, there, there's other shows in other cities. But Omaha was the, the promotion city. So Bill Miller could be wrestling in St. Louis, not affiliated with, Ohio or with uh, Omaha, and he's wrestling as Bill Miller. Or he might go into Texas and he wrestles as Bill Miller while he's Doctor X up in Omaha. So, for back in those days, nobody had a way to find out, and because kayfabe was so prevalent, yeah, nobody spoke out. So his secret was safe. Well, when he when he was unmasked, he was Doctor Bill Miller, and then he had another year. He had another. Uh, he was in Omaha till about '61, still wrestling as Bill Miller now. And uh, he held the Omaha version of the World Heavyweight type, okay. which, was, which, which was not affiliated at all with the later AWA type. Okay. Oh, okay, although, although you will see, um, there is a picture out, or there's a couple pictures that I have of Bill Miller wearing Vern Gagne's belt. Okay. But it's not the AWA belt. Okay. Omaha version of the world World title. title. Okay, makes sense? Makes sense. Well, so Vern had success. He saw success with with Miller doing the gimmick of the mask. And in 1962, uh, Vern, being a good friend with Bill Miller, they wrestled each other in the past. He told Bill, he says, I want to bring you into Minneapolis, which was now the AWA territory. He says, I want to bring you into Minneapolis, and Minneapolis, again, being the office for the, for the AWA, okay? okay? So it's the t- territory. Bring you into Minneapolis, and uh, we're going to put a mask on you, and uh, we'll call you Mr. M. Okay? So there we have it. We have this new super secret, and, and Bill Miller, by that time in Minneapolis, had not wrestled here until uh, – since. Uh, I think it was probably 58, 57. So he hadn't appeared here. So yeah. nobody knew who he was. And then he starts to gimmick all over. Wow. Amazing how that, you couldn't do that.
1: Well, you, it'd be very hard to do it now if you did it like that. That's the,
0: the Well, you, you have to remember, and I know we touch on this a lot, but yeah. um, everything in wrestling in that era was... A secret for starters Mm -hmm. and we didn't know that wrestlers were you know opponents one night and and rivals the next in a different town or different city or different territory Mm -hmm. and it just never got out yeah Uh, you know promoters could do just about anything and and the guy 50 miles to the town next to him isn't going to find out about it because the news this is one of the marvels that i have of when I say I got 71 looking at me in in another few weeks here. So, but but I'm, I'll say I'm still 70. Okay. Okay. I'm just, I'm still young. Yes, you are. Uh, (laughs) But one of the marvels for me is that I remember when I was a kid, you always, you hear some, some old guy down the block talking, you know, back when I was a kid, you know, or the way (laughs) things are changed today or, your grandpa's doing it or your uncle's doing it. But the joy of getting older is that you really do see how 70 years of advancement. Yeah. And so in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and even up to in the 80s, we didn't have cable television. Mm-hmm. We certainly didn't have internet. Yep. We still had a morning newspaper that was our primary source of news. News. If you got the morning newspaper yep. and Lord knows that, you know, the newspapers, I mean, with what the rarest exceptions, the news was hours, hours late by the time you received it in your hand, it had already happened. Yeah. But we just didn't have any outlet to find out what happened in another town, whether it be a newsworthy item or whatever it was. And then, And this is something I I always stress. Television, which was so important to getting a wrestling program off and running and to be successful, you had to have TV. But you had your little outlet of television where the only people that saw it was the town the television station was in or -hmm. the little surrounding area of it, you know, the smaller towns. So, and we know that back in my era, Television was still in its infancy through the fifties.
1: Yeah,
0: we had uh, four television stations in Minneapolis. We had Channel Four, which was a CBS affiliate. We had Channel Five, which was at that time it was a ABC affiliate, American Broadcasting Company. Uh, we had NBC, which was Channel Nine. And we had an independent station. The independent station being just a local station that ran local programming, kiddie shows, you know, old westerns, and uh, had a little local newscast. But that was it. Yeah. That was our. Outlet. And the key thing was, is that the the news with those four stations was six o'clock in the evening for a half hour, and at ten o'clock before you went to bed, they. Most of the stations had a ten o'clock newscast covering yeah. local news. Your only national news coverage in those days was usually around five thirty to six mm-hmm. in our market and in most markets around the country where you'd get the national scope, you know what's happening in Washington and the fire that took place in texas and and that was it. yeah so that along with the newspaper, that was it. that's yeah. all we knew now. Today, because we've had technology explode on us and the internet and the cable and everything, um, you've got 24 7 news. Yeah. You've got 200, 300 channels on TV that are all devoted to news, so called news, whether it's fake news or whatever it is, it's being advertised as, you know, up to the minute. Our local TV stations. Just alone right now in the Twin Cities, every one of our our, uh, four channels that we have, the local channels, that's non paper for uh, cable channels. We have from 4.30 in the morning until 7 o'clock in the morning, we have news. You wake up to the news, the traffic, the weather, the news, all four channels. And then you go to the national news at 7 o'clock for another hour. And then you have a nine o'clock hour where all of them have their nine to 10 news. And then we have an 11 o'clock hour with news on TV. And then we have noon hour news. You got it. You got to be up to date. And then we've got four o'clock news, five o'clock news, six o'clock news. One station also does it at 630. And then we've got sometimes seven o'clock. Then we've got our 10 o'clock news. Not to mention, you can go to any of the cable channels that are news related, and you've got news. We've got one station that's 24-hour news. Okay. And all night on our local stations, they don't even put a program on anymore. They put a national news hookup. So what can happen in the world that we're not instantly, instantly aware of? Yeah. So try to pull off a mask guy today talking about Bill Eady. See, I told you I'd get back to him. All right. I'm stepping off my soapbox on television. <laughs> okay. uh, Bill Eadie. Yeah. Bill Eadie was one of the premier, in my opinion, one of the premier and really one of the most underrated of the masked wrestlers while he was masked superstar. Yeah. Uh, had the gimmick down perfectly. Yeah. He, had the, the, he had the look, he had the, the build, he had the voice, he was good on the mic. And who is he? That was we at, when he was doing the mask gig. We were still able. That was he was at the end of where we could still pull that off. Yeah. Who is he? We don't know who he is. Yeah. And then, you know, this was in the later eighties. It's time where things changed kind of quick. Yeah. Wrestling changed, and you yeah. know the mask wouldn't work. But he had he had a great career. It yeah. wasn't like he needed that mask to get over because. He started in the business wrestling as Bolo Mongol, along with uh Guito, or it was Guito Mongo, who was originally with um, Nikolai Volkov, who okay. was who was Beppo Mongo. Guito and Beppo were the first two Mongols in the WWWF and that was a great gimmick in itself. You had two guys that uh, came out from Mongolia or wherever they were supposed to be with their heads shaved and a spout, a spout of hair. And, and uh, they were kind of, you know, unorthodox and, uh, uh, Tat, Tatry Newton, Tatry Newton kind of a hard name to say. He was Gito Mongo and he'd had this, he was wrestling as Newton for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, mediocre guy on the cards. Come up with this Mongol idea, and it took off. Put uh, Beppo with him, his bigger partner, and you had a great success. When Beppo left, he became Nikolay or Nikolai Volkov with WWWF, and they brought in Bolo Mongol. Uh, Guito did in another promotion. Okay. So that's where okay. Bill Eady started. That was his first start. And then, of course, after that, he went into the mass superstar. And when that gimmick was done, you know, we went, you know, that we he went into uh being Vince McMahon's copycat team of Axe and Smash to the Road Warriors at the time. Right. That was his right. attempt. He was trying to duplicate them. And he yeah. put on that paint face paint. Yes. Uh, act, uh, and Bill Eady was Axe, along with Smash, who had been a Russian before that, uh, yeah. <laughs> Nikita uh, Crusher Khrushchev. Yeah. But in reality, he was Barry Darso, trained by Eddie Sharkey in Minneapolis. You know, he yeah. went from yeah. a, a Minneapolis-born guy to a, to a Russian to uh, a mask guy. You know, it, it worked out really good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I remember uh, I did a podcast with Barry probably about six months ago now. And he's been a lot of characters. He was a yeah. Russian. Oh yeah. And he was he, he had another rainbow man. And, yes, yes. and yeah, he was he's a character. I want to talk a little bit about uh Bill and Scott Irwin when they were masked. Um I didn't really know that as a kid until later on in life. I knew them mostly as the Long Riders when they were in the AWA. And uh I mean those two guys, for their size and their – they had a lot of ability. And they gave the road warriors, I remember, always a fight. I mean, most of the time the road warriors would go in and pound the crap out of you in five minutes, the match was over, for the most part. Yeah. But those guys, like Bill and Scott, um, were when they were in the territories, they were the – I don't remember what they were called as the masks – the mass superstars
0: super destroyers
1: okay super destroyers one and two
0: yeah um tell us a little bit about that if you would okay well first of all you had two guys bill scott and bill Irwin, who both had a good wrestling training background scott was trained by Vern Gagne, so we know he had to be good mm-hmm. and he wrestled as scott Irwin for a while then he went uh, he went out east, and he was one of the uh, Lumberjacks in the 70s with uh, Vince Sr.'s promotion. Okay. Uh, Scott Irwin and, oh boy, Sergeant uh, LeBoff or Labo or whatever they called him, um, they were the Lumberjacks. and And they were Eric and Pierre was their names as the Lumberjacks. Scott <laughs> Irwin was Eric. And he had the, the curlier hair a little bit longer and he had the bushier beard. He then went on and became Thor the Viking down in the Florida territory. Okay. So you'll see some you'll see some results at times than Thor the Viking. Well, that was Scott Irwin. Now, Bill Irwin, he was also, he had a sound background being trained by Eddie Sharkey's camp.
1: Okay. So you had
0: two guys, two brothers that didn't come out of the same camp, but definitely, uh, and, and Bill was a couple years late after Scott. Yeah. Scott, by the way, came out of the Vern Gagne camp that uh, had Ricky Steamboat, Dick Blood, and yeah. uh, uh, Jan Nelson was another one who sadly left us early. But, uh, and there was another guy in that camp that we're not going to mention. So uh, you gotcha. can smile. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> uh, never mentioned. Yeah. Anyway, um, so they became a version of the Super Destroyers down in the WCCW. Okay. And the interesting thing about it at the time, and this is something that I think we really need to touch on about masked wrestlers because of the territories. Mm-hmm. When Scott and Bill were the Super Ds, we'll just refer to them as, in Dallas. And again, that's the office of WCW or WCCW at the time, the Von Erich promotion. Yeah. Um, people would, if you looked, if you looked at a magazine, you'd say, well, gee, the super destroyers down there and and then there's super destroyers in, in the mid Atlantic territory. Well, that wasn't true because the mid Atlantic super destroyer would have been Don Jardine. Okay. And not the same guy. And, uh, That was interesting because Don Jardine also wrestled often as the spoiler. Ah. So you'd think, well, there's two different mask guys, but he interchanged the territories he went to, Jardine did. So Bill and Scott, going back to the Irwins, they were the super Ds down there, and then Vern brought them up to the AWA as themselves, the Irwins, yeah, calling themselves the long riders and they had completely changed their gimmick. I mean, they, they now have their, their longer hair for the time. Uh, Scott was called Scott hog. Irwin was more like a motorcycle guy at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was wild bill Irwin. Yeah. Came in with a bullwhip and <laughs> you know, the overalls they wore. And so they, they got over it. But that was an example where the the gimmicks were kind of interchangeable and they just got done with the mask gimmick and moved on to being themselves. I want to touch on, since I mentioned Jardine. Okay. It was um, Don Jardine was a guy, one of those great journeyman wrestlers who had a lot of names in his career. He usually did fairly decent wherever he went. As Don Jardine, he was butchered. Don Jardine had some great success, main events in some of the territories he was in. And then he became, uh, he went, he was Sonny, uh, Sonny Cooper here in the Twin Cities early in the 60s, kind of a preliminary guy. Um, when he went down to Texas in the early, in the mid 60s, when Fritz von Erich took over the, the promotion down there, I mean, it was Fritz's idea to put a mask on him and call him the spoiler. And it was a great gimmick. Nobody had been called. Well, there was an original spoiler out in California uh, before that. And uh, now his name is escaping me. So let me think. Um, I'll think about it. Sure, Jardine. So he had a lot of success as the spoiler. And it was a big secret who he was. But he had Playboy Gary Hart as his manager. Who supposedly was getting money from Mama to pay for the spoiler to be, you know, hide his identity and, and cripple people. And he came up with his own claw hole, the spoiler did. And then they, they created a couple of other spoilers for him around the country. In Texas, at the time, he had spoiler number two, which was a guy that was wrestling previously as Smasher Sloan, pretty big guy. And uh, he was spoiler number two. When, when Jardine took the spoiler gimmick to uh, the, the Florida area, he had a couple of spoiler number twos that were under the mask. One was Killer Carl Cox, who was a big name in the business. So you say, why does Killer Carl Cox need a, need a mask? That's just making money under a different name and nobody knows. Yeah. He also had um, Bobby Duncan was one of the spoiler number twos down there. Ah. Now think, now think about that. He's a big, big, uh, bad Bobby Duncombe, yeah. And that was, yeah, and that was uh, uh in between his stints with us here in the Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. So he was spoiler number two for a while down there. When uh, the spoiler, Don Jardine took the gimmick to the Mid-South, Bill Watts group, in the uh early 70s, he had a, in the mid-set, was closer to the mid-70s, he had a um Another spoiler, number two. And the guy under that mask was Buddy Wolf. Ah. Another another big name yeah. who, you know, put the hood on for a while. So the spoiler, though, his gimmick was he was never going to unmask because that was how he made his money. A, a gimmick similarly used or, or a reason similarly used by Dick Byer, which we'll talk about in a second. Yep. Yeah. But... Jardine was not going to unmask coincidentally enough. He, in the early seventies, he was going to, he got contacted by Vince senior to come into WWWF. They had some goofy law in New York and it was a law by the state athletic commission where a guy couldn't work under a mask. The wrestlers had to be, Uh, you know, seen. So Jardine Actually went in and he worked for a year and a half, two years as the spoiler in New York and surrounding cities without his mask. Wow! And if you look at pictures, same guy. He's got the claw, but he's got his he's got his ebor a beard often, and yeah. uh, he was the spoiler. Never revealed that his name was Don Jardine, but he was the spoiler. And then after that stint with Vince Sr. was over, he went back to being the spoiler again with the mask. Wow. When he went to the the mid-Atlantic, maybe, I don't know, they didn't want the spoiler, so they brought in the Super Destroyer. Okay. And that was Jardine. Ironically, I'm going to bring that around to Minneapolis because when Vern brought Jardine in in the mid-'70s as the Super Destroyer, Yeah. Eventually, Vern, after it was a year, year and a half, whatever it was, um, Vern decided, and again, the promoters, they had rule. He went to Jardine and he told him he thought that the time came that he should be unmasked. Mm -hmm. Story goes, Jardine disagreed. He claimed that he hadn't gotten over enough yet or he hadn't had time to get the character over. And he said, I'm not unmasked. Well, Vern said, well, yes, you are. You know, this, remember, I'm the boss. And Jardine left. They did announce that the Crusher unmasked him. This was how they handled his leaving. They announced that the Crusher had unmasked the, the Super Destroyer, and they revealed his name as Don Jardine, and he was gone. But Vern was in a pickle because he had Lord Alfred Hayes, who, had, who was managing Jardine as Super Destroyer, And they had contracts already signed or matches already signed with cities. And so Vern put in an emergency phone call to Bob Remus Uh, and asked him to get a mask and come on in and we're going to have you fulfill these dates. And that's where Bob Remus came in as Super Destroyer Mark II. And Hayes come out and claimed that this Super Destroyer is not only bigger, he's stronger. He's better you know, than the original, and we had Mark II. So wow. that's how Remus got it. It was totally something that happened, and Remus yeah. got the emergency call. And yeah. it, it skyrocketed for him. Now, Remus had been wrestling around the country at that point. And remember, he's a Ganya graduate as well. Yeah. He, he graduated from the camp in 70, yeah. uh, 74 yeah. as Bob Remus wrestled on AWA cards. And he wrestled around the Central States Territory, the Pacific Northwest Territory. He wrestled as uh, some different names. He wrestled as uh, uh, Bob Slaughter. Before he became Sergeant Slaughter, he wrestled as Bob Slaughter. Yeah. wrestled as Remus. He wrestled as Butcher Slaughter. And then he wrestled as the Super Destroyer. Or, uh, yeah, he was the Super Destroyer a little bit in Kansas City. Okay. Right around the same time he was doing the Mark II thing for Vern, So he he did well with it. And that was how that, that transition came about.
1: I got to meet Sergeant Slaughter, Bob Ramos in Dallas back in um, late March, early April. Nice guy. Really nice guy. And uh, I know we're getting off topic a little bit, but I wanted to tell you that he told me, he asked me where I was from. I told him I was born and raised in Rice Lake, Wisconsin. He says, that was my very first match. Yeah. with with uh, Playboy <laughs> Buddy Rose. It wasn't Playboy Buddy Rose then, but he said that was, was Playboy Buddy Rose.
0: Paul Pershman.
1: Yeah, Paul Pershman. Yeah. And I was just like, uh, that's the second person I've met that had their first match. The other one was Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. His first match was in Rice Lake, Wisconsin, was George Scrap Iron. Uh, so I was just, yeah, yeah I was... My town at one time was kind of the wrestling breaking in the new wrestlers that became famous, I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, that's a good story. You know, you can, you got something in common there. Yeah. You know, I I wanted to touch on the reason I brought the spoiler thing up too, and I was going to move that into like Dick Byer, for example. Sure. But the spoiler, sometimes these guys, I think they, they took themselves too seriously or they didn't give enough credit for the fact that, You know, they could get over with or without the mask. Mm -hmm. Now, in the case of Jardine, he actually told Vern Gagne that I don't want to unmask his super destroyer because it's going to destroy my career. That I'm making my money with this mask. Well, the irony of it is that as the spoiler, he wrestled without that mask in New York. He wrestled without that mask before Fritz von Erich dubbed him the spoiler. And he, he did fine. He was a main event wrestler. He made money. So him saying to Vern that, you know, it's going to ruin my career if I get unmasked right now or whatever, I, there was no, there was no uh, rationale for that because, again, these guys in the territory days had that luxury of if you can't make money here, you just move to the next territory and you make money there. Yeah. And you got a whole new audience, people that don't know you, people that didn't see that you were unmasked or didn't know your name or whatever it was. Which leads me to Dick Buyer. I think, and you know, I've told you, he's my favorite wrestler of all time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So... so if it comes across as I'm a little bit uh, biased, I don't know, biased. Yeah, <laughs> maybe a little bit. But let me just say this. Dick Byer was as legitimate a wrestler as you could come up with. The real deal when he was Dick Byer wrestling in the 50s all the way up to 1962. And when he, did, when he started the mask gimmick as the Destroyer, we all know the stories that it happened almost purely by accident. He had been contacted in, uh, he was in Hawaii wrestling as Dick Byer. Mad Dog, Vashon was down there. And Mad Dog had pretty much told uh, Jules Strongbow in California that you got a guy down in Hawaii that is would make a great heel. You should bring him in, meaning Dick Beyer. Mm-hmm. And so the, the contact was made. Bayer was going to go into Los Angeles. And Dick even went out and had a bunch of promo pictures taken, publicity shots, mm-hmm. um, as a heel persona, you know, kind of snarling in the face and whatever. And he goes into Los Angeles. And literally uh, the night of the day of his match, his debut match, he's told, well, I don't want Dick Buyer. We're going to put the mask on you and we're going to call you the destroyer. And that's how that all came about. Wow. And Dick, you know, Dick at the point at that point like was seriously like, "The hell you are? What? You know, <laughs> what the hell's going on?" you know. So, he wore this stupid gunny sack burlap type burlap type material mask thing that the promoter gave him. And Dick as de- Dick Dick had described it as being itchy. It was uncomfortable. He couldn't see out of it. And he he did the match went back to the locker room afterwards and he threw the damn thing on the floor. And he said, that's it. i am never, that's it. I'm done. And Ox Anderson, who was sitting in the locker room, reached in his double bag, pulled out this mask, stretchy material, which was similar to what the destroyer mask looked like mm-hmm. said, try this, Dick, Dick tried it on. And uh, he said, yeah, this fits this. I could breathe in this. And so Rest of the story, he went over to the Woolworths and in in all the Woolworths in town, bought up the, the girdle material.
1: And his yeah. wife made
0: a out of the ladies' girdles, true story, and the destroyer was born. From that day on, uh, the destroyer would not unmask. That was part of his contract. He went into promoters and he said, I'll come into your territory, but I'm not unmasking. My mask is not part of the deal. And if you want me to come in as Dick Buyer, or you want me to unmask, I'm not doing it. End of story. Because he drew so so well yeah. with that mask on and with that gimmick. Yeah. Um, and playing the gimmick that, you know, I'll never be unmasked. And so he was taunting not only the supposedly his fellow wrestlers, but taunting the fans as a heel. Um, this went on for seven or for five years, and we get to 67, 1967. And uh, Vern Gagne says, "I want you to come into Minneapolis." And Dick says, "Well, I'm willing to come in." And and Vern actually wrestled the Destroyer in Chicago. Okay, Destroyer had been working for Indianapolis WWA Bruisers group as the Destroyer, and Vern had a match with him. Vern wrestled him. He liked what he saw, and Dick was a great work. I mean, he could work with he could work scientific match. He could work a grueling match, a brutal match, be a heel, whatever. Mm-hmm. And Vern says, I want you to come in to Minneapolis. And Dick says, well, you know I I'm not unmasking. I, I'll be happy to come in. But the mask is part of the deal. And Vern says, well I would want you to unmask when it's time to leave. And most promoters did want that. Yeah. Uh, but Dick, that was part of his deal. So Vern says, well yeah I want you to unmask. And Dick says, well then you know we're done talking. So they came up with the idea of a different masked man and a a different identity, Dr. X. This this was a different Dr. X now. So Vern agreed that he would come in as Dr. X. Whole new outfit, whole different mask, not anything even close to the destroyer mask. We'd have a whole new background created for him. And he comes in as this masked man who again used the scenario that I had to put this mask on because all the big boys in the business were dodging me. I'm not able to get the top matches. I'm not able to get championship matches. So I got the mask on and my mask will not be taken off unless I'm beaten two submission falls or two pin falls. And that was the gimmick. The whole idea where they agreed that when it was time for Dick to leave, Dick agreed that he would unmask. And in doing that, he saved his destroyer, I Because the destroyer was never unmasked. Right. So that was a really unique scenario on yeah. how they worked around it. Blair. And Dick agreed to it. Very creative. Uh, I will
1: when, say very creative minds back then. Very creative. And
0: then when he left... AWA. Dick had given his notice that he wanted to leave for a year. He was going to go back wrestling as the destroyer. And he booked a world tour. He was in Australia New Zealand. He was in uh, uh, India and Germany. And he went to Japan. He, he literally booked all this himself as the destroyer. And he took his family. They were going to travel for a year. So he unmasked for Vern in a couple of matches and was revealed in three of the unmaskings as Bruce Marshall. Bruce Marshall. Made up name. <clears throat> Made up name. And of course, everybody, oh, who's, who's Bruce Marshall? Never heard of him. You know, they, <laughs> they just paid three years or two, yeah, three years to see this guy. And when you take his mask off, well, who is he? I <laughs> still don't recognize him, you know. <laughs> Only in St. Paul, and you and I talked about this, I'm sure, on a previous show, he was revealed as Dip Byer. Yeah. But to most of the fans in attendance, it meant nothing. He left for a whole year. Dick Byer was never mentioned again. And when he came back after that year's absence, he was again Dr. X, came back as a heel, but very quickly, within a month or two, was transitioned into a good guy. Now it was unique because most everyone had forgotten that he had been unmasked. They never talked about it anymore. Yeah. And if they did see him unmasked, they didn't remember his name, and they never talked about the name. And when he came back, he was just Doctor X. And when he became a good guy, nobody wanted to see him unmasked because that was he was he was Dick By, or he was Doctor X, a good guy. And when, the ref, when the opponent would pull on his mask, the, the fans would be telling to the ref, they're pulling his mask, if they're pulling his <laughs> mask. You know, so the gimmick worked completely in reverse. And then yeah. for another year or two, he was a good guy in the AWA as Dr. X. After that, he went over to Japan for six years oh, wow. as the destroyer, was there wow. six full years. And um, the reason he was there for six years, they worked out this unique gimmick. I, I'm going to off track here. For something it. new, something new, right? Yeah. No, <laughs> well, he was, he was over there working for giant Baba Shohei Baba and they, Dick was the heel. Well, they had a match with each other where if Dick lost, he had to team with Baba going forward and be his partner. It worked out. It was great. For the next six years, Dick was the greatest baby face in the world over there. He was part of the Japanese crew. And uh, at the end, he's, he retired over there as the greatest hero of mass wrestlers in Japan. So,
1: yeah. One more question for you. Actually, two. One is, what is your, the grappler, Len Denton? Yeah. I read his book. I don't know if you've ever read it. I've got it. I've read it. Oh, my gosh. It It is one of the best books I've ever read. I mean, I couldn't. I mean, the way he wrote that book, it's like you're there. Yeah, I I don't know how you do that, but he wrote it like you were like right there and uh, very, to me, underappreciated. Uh, I kind of remember him. But well, he, I was pretty young when he was around. I mean, I remember him as the Dirty White Boys later yep. on, but as the Grappler, you know, I was pretty young. I don't remember that. But talk talk to me a little bit about him and, and well, he
0: he had a he was a little bit later, you know, in the eighties yeah. as a wrestler. But he had a with the Grappler. He had a unique gimmick because. He allegedly had one one foot that was or one leg that was a little bit shorter. That was the gimmick. And he'd have this yeah. loaded boot, so to speak. If you looked at him in the pictures, the soles on his boot, you know, one was this thick and one was this thick. Yeah. And then he and then he had this cane. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then he would use the gimmick where he'd, you know, hit his boot on the on the mat, you know, stomping on it to kind of He's got a foreign object in there, ref. Hey, you know, <laughs> he did really well with the grappler thing. Yeah. And he also had a second grappler that worked with him, a guy named uh, Tony Anthony. Yeah.
1: I think that was his name. Yeah. Cause they um, were dirty white boys later.
0: Yes. And so, I mean, they were like, kind of like the Irwins with doing the super destroyer and then the long rider yeah. thing where they were able to transition, Yeah, but they worked that the, the, he was, he was one of the best mass wrestlers. And you know, the best masked wrestlers are the ones that had the longevity. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I said earlier in our show that we had good guys and bad guys, we had good guy masked. Yeah. Mill Mil Mascaris, 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 oh my yeah. gosh. And he's never been unmasked, but no he, he was a good guy. He, yeah. he drew strictly as a good guy. We had uh, Mr. Olympia, who was Jerry Stubbs. And then I want to touch on the fact that there were mask guys that the fans knew who they were, and they were they were they put the mask on as yeah. part of the gimmick, like yvaldi Slim. When Dusty Rhodes, he would Isn't lose a riot. match, a loser leave town or whatever it was, and he'd come yeah. back and calling himself yvaldi Slim. And the promoters, you know, we don't know who he is, but we can't prove it till we prove it. You know, he can still wrestle here, and the fans are loving it and the opponents are saying wait a minute he's double crossing us he should be gone yeah another one that did that was bruiser brody he was ah. uh red river jack that's right yes red river jack yes. and, and everybody knew who he was except the, the referee and, and the, the promote. promoter you know the bad guys knew that he was pulling a fast one over their their head <laughs> and uh so sometimes the masks were used in in. Barry Wyndham did one too. The, wasn't he uh Yellow Dog, Dirty Yellow Dog? Dirty Yellow something. Dog. And then Jimmy yeah. Valiant did one too. He was Charlie Brown. Yep, Charlie Brown. <laughs> yeah. You know. And I mean, everybody knew with that beard, you know, yeah. IT law, that it was, you know, everybody but the promoter. So it was, it was sometimes you wonder how could they not claim that it wasn't yeah. real? Yeah. And I mean, then there were so many guys over the years. I, I mentioned some of them. Uh, Stan Pulaski, journeyman, wrestler, one of the all-time great workers and so underrated. Eric Pomeroy, real name. He was Stan Pulaski, Sergey Pulaski, Igor Kelmikov, Stan Vashon. And then under a mask, he wrestled as one of the Infernos. Ah. And the, the Infernos were a great tag. Yeah, um, Doug Gilbert, the original Doug Gilbert, not the younger kid that came along later. Doug Gilbert was the professional in Atlanta as a heel, you know, with the name, the professional, you're automatically arrogant and boasting because you're yeah. calling yourself the professional. And he had this mask. Then later he became the professional as a good guy. Yeah. Well, he also at one point in time was under a mask as uh, who's the guy we just, the infernos.
1: Yeah, he gross. also had
0: the inferno mascot okay. for a while, yeah, so some of those guys were interchangeable. The wow. infernos were Curtis and Rocky Smith, two excellent workers, and another one of the infernos for a while was Frankie Kane, who went on to be the great Mephisto, which was kind of a chic ripoff. if yeah. you remember that? yeah, yeah
1: well yeah, so these yeah. guys
0: these guys were incredible, yeah. and uh, man, we could go Johnny Walker, who wrestled as the grappler early in his career. Yes, as a heel, yeah. and then he be, he became later on Mr. Wrestling Two. Yeah, and one of the greatest stories about Mr. Wrestling Two is that people had seen Johnny Walker wrestle for years as Johnny Walker as a good guy. Then he was the grappler, and then he was unmasked as Johnny Walker, and then he became Mr. Wrestling Number Two, which everybody nobody knew who that yeah. was with Mr. Yeah. Wrestling One, Tim Woods, and. He wasn't going to reveal his identity, and he took it so far as to come up with the story that when Jimmy Carter was our president, Jimmy Carter's mother was a great wrestling fan, and she had a picture posed with Mr. Wrestling, too. But Mr. Wrestling, too, said, I refused to trip to the White House because they wanted me to unmask Secret <laughs> Service and everything, and I refused. I mean, everybody knew what he looked like, but the gimmick worked so good, and yeah. it went with the storyline. Yeah, Jeff Courts, uh, Gordon Nelson—they wrestled uh, as Mr. X, one and two. Talk about two great wrestlers, yeah. wrestlers, wrestlers. Courts and Gordon Nelson. I mean, this is a topic we could we could go on and on, but it is a lost right. gimmick because today it can't be used.
1: That was, was going to be my last question. Do you think it'll ever come back?
0: No, it can't, Brian. Wrestling yeah. today. Is so open, yeah. And you know, even if you look at, and again, you know, I don't follow the modern day product, but yeah. what little I do, the characters switching back and forth—they're good guys, bad guys. This name, yeah. that name—they're this name this week, this day. You know, two months from now, there's somebody else. Yeah, um, it's so open. And as soon as something a guy's gone from the territory, or he's going to leave, and the internet and the observer and and the torch and all these. Uh, newsletters they got him they've already reported you know yeah. there's those there's no way and if yeah. somebody put a mask on and they tried to say we don't know where he comes from and he's from that highly populated city of parts unknown it's not gonna work so yeah. we lived or I lived especially in an era that was truly gold. Yeah so
1: I I agree with you hundred percent. I mean I was a little kid but it is a lost art and uh yeah well i'll end it there george ladies and gentlemen mr george shire george again sir thank you for coming on always a wealth of knowledge always finding out new things and i really appreciate it sir thank you thank you always i appreciate your show all right and folks if you're watching thank you if you're listening thank you if you haven't subscribed please do so and we will talk to you soon